The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. It is 507 on the Central Coast. Welcome back. I'm Dave Congleton. It is uh, Thursday, January 26, 2023. Always good to be with you. Thank you for joining us. Annie Lorenzen is going to talk about uh, gas ovens versus electric ovens during the 11 o'clock hour. 11 o'clock hour. Hello. <laughs> well, I'm going to listen to that one. I think that's going to be during the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, this hour. I'm, I just pulled up the Drudge Report. World War Three fears grow. Bloody uh, battle gets bloodier. Uh, race against time before Europe engulfed in war. Always good to be in conversation with Professor James Armstead, who has worn many hats in his distinguished career, not the least of which, I believe, for 10 years was a tank commander. And the U.S. Army, which means if we're going to talk about tanks in Ukraine, he's the guy to talk to. Professor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm all right. So you really did this. This isn't one of those George Santos things. You actually were a tank no, commander. No, no, no. I was a, uh, I'm, I'm armor trained, armor qualified. I have four branches in the Army. Armor, JAG, Civil Affairs, and, um, and, and IG. Uh, what kind of tank did you command? Uh, M60A1 E2 Charlie. 105 millimeter gun, 62 tons combat loaded. All right. Well, I'm impressed. Is was it? Is that difficult? Is that difficult to do? I had the best troops that the world has ever produced. Good American boys who were willing to fight, learned how to operate those tanks, did their jobs in cold, cold weather in northern Germany. All right. There's so much to talk about here, Professor. So let's start with the basics. Why is this debate over tanks? Why are tanks instrumental for the Ukrainians? Why do they want our tanks? Well, we, we've got two issues here. We've got tanks as combat vehicles, main battle tanks. What can they do on the battlefield? How does that change things? Then, of course, we have, as, as you know I'm going to say always, we have the political edge here. What is the political significance of raising the level of weaponry to main battle tanks from the things we've provided before? So we've got those two things that we have to deal with. The first, looking at what do tanks provide, uh, tanks give you an armored center to your attack. 
fact that you're able to look out on the battlefield, see where the enemy is deployed. We are fighting in this third phase of the war in the Ukraine. We're fighting almost like a World War One battlefield. Trench warfare, the sides are lined up uh, fairly hardly lined up. That is, they're dug in, they're prepared to defend specific territory. This is not a war of maneuver right now in four provinces in the very eastern part of Ukraine. How do we break through into those Russian forces that are deployed in Ukraine, take back this territory, and force these people to leave? That's what armor is useful for. Three issues that we attach to armor in terms of its attacking qualities. Firepower, it carries a very large main gun. The new tanks, uh, the new NATO tanks, use a 120-millimeter Rheinmanthaler. It's a German gun. Uh, it's smoothbore. It's a smoothbore cannon, uh, and it has a number of rounds, uh, a high-explosive round that's very much like an artillery round, a high-explosive plastic HEP round, uh, which is also used as an anti-armor, anti-tank weapon, and it has a depleted uranium round. This depleted uranium, it's a hard piece of metal that's a sabo, air-cooled, air, air fin-discarding sabo. It's a smaller round inside of the 120 millimeter. You fire the 120 millimeter, then the smaller round inside, the sabo, actually goes into the penetrator. It goes into the armor and through the uh, the enemy tank. With depleted uranium nose, very, very hard. So what so that's, give, that's what the tanks can do. That's why but, you need them. So, But what does this give the Ukrainians that they don't have now? How does this change the situation? This gives the Ukrainians a tank that is superior to the Russian tanks that are on the battlefield. It's superior in two ways. Its armor is better. It's you better protect the men who are fighting in this vehicle. That's important. They can survive a hit from a main gun round from the enemy tank. The other thing it gives you is something we call standoff distance. That is, I can shoot you. I can destroy your vehicle before I come in the range of your weapons. The uh, M1A3, uh, which is what we're using now, the M1A3 SCP, uh, that has a a firing range of approximately 4,000 meters. That's twice the distance that a Russian tank is able to have you in their effective sights, that they can shoot with a good high probability of a kill, okay. somewhere around 2,000 meters. This is 4,000. The Leopard is between three and four, same gun. All right. What the happens with our tank is we have better identification and sighting. The uh, magnetic imaging sites, uh, the thermal imaging uh, is able to not only fire um, at maximum effective range, use the, uh, the, the gun that's available, but it's also able to see you further, see through fog, see through snow, see through rain, identify the enemy tank, and be able to have more than a 95% chance of a first-round kill at maximum effective range. According to NBC News, both President Biden and Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin were initially opposed to sending tanks to Ukraine. What made them change their mind? Well, they weren't opposed to sending tanks. They were opposed to sending our tank, the M1. 
the reason for that, if you were in space watching the battles in Iraq, where the last time we had heavy usage of an M1 against enemy armor, what you would see is a fast-moving column of armor, of tanks, out in front of American forces, and you would see a huge logistics train behind. We talk about things in logistics called a tooth-to-tail ratio. So for every one fighter, every one tank, every one soldier, you've got eight to ten people behind passing up beans and bullets and ammo and fuel and spare parts and new tracks and driving trucks and all of those things you need, the impedimentia of warfare, to be able to carry out an effective battle plan. The M1 is a very sophisticated, very complicated vehicle. It uses a jet engine. It uses a, a, a turbine engine, and this turbine is very similar to the engines that are used in aircraft. The engines on the 747, the 767, this is very similar, and it uses jet fuel. The ability to take care of this mechanically, it's the same level of technical competence you need to keep an airplane flying. So this is a very, very sophisticated weapon system with a large logistic trail. Uh, it's fuel, uh, it's very fuel hungry. It gets approximately, uh, three, approximately three gallons for each mile that it travels of fuel. Right. So, uh, so I'm, you, I'm just trying to establish why Biden and Austin changed their minds. Well, it's we, we are an alliance. We function as alliance, and that gets us over into the second part of my my initial answer to your question, the political part. The German Leopard II has been determined by the Allies as the appropriate tank, as an alliance that we should be sending. The reason for that is that there are high numbers of these. They're very reliable. It has a diesel engine, and it has that 120-millimeter gun I talked about on the uh, on the Abrams. So it has the same gun, the same firing mechanism. Now, it doesn't have the same sighting devices, the same computers, and all those other things. Uh, so this was a tank that could be make a measurable difference on the battlefield, that this would allow a superiority of armor so that you could fight tank on tank if necessary. That is not the best use of tanks. The best use of tanks is punching through a line of infantry in a defense, being able to punch through that line of defense, that trench line, if you will, a defense line, go into the rear of the enemy area, and then destroy their fuel support supply capability, destroy railheads, destroy ammo dumps, and the battle is over. The soldiers at the front uh, who were not killed in the initial attack are not able to continue in the battle because they don't have the logistical support because your armor in their rear has destroyed that. All right, I gotta get, I, I've got to get this break in. Uh, Professor James Armstead back on Hometown Radio explained to us the change in strategy with our sending tanks along with Germany to Ukraine and what all that means. This is Hometown Radio for the Central Coast. It is the Dave Congleton Show. All right, we are in conversation with Professor James Armstead, former tank commander, by the way.
And he was establishing in the last segment that Biden and Austin are agreeing to send tanks to Ukraine to provide political coverage for Germany so that they will send tanks as well. But given that, Professor, on the Stolberg Tatum text line, listener number one writes, the Abrams tank is unreliable. There's no way the Ukrainians are going to be able to service those tanks and even time to learn about them. The same is true for the Leopard tanks. Everything would have to come from Poland to be maintained. Adding tanks is simply a bad idea. Your response. Okay, that's a that's a very complex statement. Let me let me cut that up into pieces. First, the uh, Abrams tank and the Leopard tank are unreliable. That's not true. The Leopard two is an extremely reliable tank, diesel engine. The Germans have had this in use for more than thirty years now. They've worked out the bugs. Our testing in nineteen seventy it began. It's called the MBT seventy main battle tank seventy. That became the Abrams. It was deployed by U.S. forces initially, the M1A1, we're at the A3 now, the M1A1 in 1980. Since its deployment, we have built uh, almost 12,000 of these vehicles. In that time, we have upgraded the engine, we've upgraded the weapon systems from a 105 to 120 millimeter gun, and the tank is so reliable that I can state to you at this moment, Not a single American soldier, tanker, has been killed in the M1A1 in a tank-on-tank battle. Hmm. Not one in 43 years of deployment. That's how reliable this vehicle is. Now, it's expensive to buy. It's expensive to operate. It has a tremendous logistics train. We had to learn how to do all of those things. The only major problem we've had in the 40 years were air filters, that in the desert in Iraq, the sand is approximately one-third the size of the sand that we have in the western desert out at Fort Irwin, the desert training center where we tested and developed the filters. When we arrived in Iraq, there were problems initially with the filters. That was fixed within three months. These are reliable vehicles. How many tanks are we planning on sending to Ukraine? Well, the, the numbers that we have heard, the Abrams, the numbers that, uh, that have been put out by the, uh, by the president of the Pentagon, that's 90, over 90 in total. 31 are to go right away. Now, right away, you know, you have to put them together, you know, get them transported. Uh, we're talking uh, perhaps one and a half to two months. Uh, for them to arrive on the uh, on the battlefield ready to go. Remember, when you say you're sending the tanks, you've got to send the maintenance and logistical support system that goes with it, the this, tooth to tail. This started, it's starting to sound like sending military advisors into South Vietnam. You catch well, my drift? we didn't have a plan. If we, we're talking mission creep, and, and that's one of the other issues here, well, you know, we were doing one thing. You know, we, we put together a program with Bradleys. Now we're putting together a program with tanks. Uh, is there a mission creep here? I don't think so. The mission was and remains stopping the invasion of Russian forces, stopping the occupation of Russian forces, and giving the Ukrainians what they need to adequately defend themselves on the battlefield. That mission has been the same since the first day of the invasion in terms of Allied help. That's still the mission. 
Now, are we creeping with what we're giving them? As the battle situation develops, as we see changes on the battlefield, as the Russians deploy more and different troops, then what we need to give the Ukrainians to defend themselves will, of course, over time change. (laughs) So given all this, what's been Putin's response? Well, the Russians, Russia today, uh, the, one of the news uh, news agencies there, has said that uh, these tanks won't make any difference. They're unimportant because the Abrams tank is unreliable and it's worn out. And the same with the Leopards, that, that old battered tanks uh, that have been battle-used and discarded are what we're sending. It doesn't matter. That's what they're saying. Now, at the same time, they're also saying sending the tanks is a provocation for escalation. So they can't have it both ways. If we're sending uh, worn-out cats, as they describe them, uh, the Leopard, if we're sending worn-out cats, uh, and there's another vehicle the Germans have, uh, the, uh, the Panther, so we have two cat names of vehicles that are being sent, it's not going to make any difference. But we're sending tanks that are first line ready to fight we're escalating the war and giving the ukrainians offensive capability so they're saying both of those things so they've got to make up their minds and if the russians can't quite figure out what it is they want to uh what it is they want to say but i think it's very clear that the abrams in uh Afghanistan and in Iraq that have been up against uh, Russian armored vehicles, T-70s, the earlier versions, T-80s, T-82s, and now the T-90, that they we have been defeating those Russian tanks in the battlefield for 40 years. They haven't come up with an effective means to stop the M1A1 or the Leopard. On the Stolberg-Tatum text line, listeners asking whether or not the tanks will be used for defensive posture or offensive. Well, they're going to be used for both purposes. Now, by offensive, I mean fighting inside of Ukraine against illegal Russian forces occupying Ukrainian land. So if, if that's if we're talking about offensive in the attack, yes, that is an offensive capability, not offensive in the sense that this is going to escalate and raise the stakes and they'll be fighting in Russia. Defensive, obviously, these are very powerful defensive weapons. Heavy armor, they can be used to surround an area used in maneuvering around a fixed position that you want to protect and defend. So they can be used for both purposes. Uh, there are some uh, experts, I'm looking here at an article, that are predicting that the tanks will be used to attack Russian cities. Hmm. Well, I think that's pretty difficult to say at this point when you've got two, more than 200,000 Russian soldiers inside of Ukraine. You've got 300,000 that were mobilized in the last three months, 150 that have been moved in to Russian units in Ukraine to cover losses, and another 150,000 being, being trained up uh, to form new, uh, new units. All right, uh, Professor, hold that thought. Professor James Armstead is on this broadcast. In addition, all the other things he has done in his fascinating career, he also was a tank commander for a decade. Uh, so he's got particular insight into the situation that we're talking about with the decision by the Biden administration and Germany to send tanks to Ukraine. Off we go. We have news and traffic and weather. We'll continue our conversation and welcome your thoughts as well. All that straight ahead this afternoon right here on The Dave Congleton Show.
Always good to be with you on Hometown Radio. I'm Dave Congleton. Always good to be in discussion with Professor James Armstead, getting the very latest on the Ukrainian situation. Of course, we're focusing on one of the later developments, our decision to send tanks to Ukraine. Germany is going to be doing it as well. Uh, some of us believe that's an escalation. If you want to join us, please do. 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Professor, as we're back with you on the Stolberg-Tatum text line, listener writes, is Professor Armstead saying that American soldiers will be performing the maintenance in the field on the American tanks given to Ukraine? No, he is not. Uh, we, we are not going to put any American soldiers into the Ukraine. So we're sending them the vehicles. We're sending them trained personnel, that is, their own personnel, who have been trained by us uh, in the United States and in, uh, and in Europe. All right, so I, I would, no, no American My prediction soldiers. about the maintenance, my prediction is that we, because logistics strain is so complex and so long for the M1A1, A2s, A3s, that we are going to put facilities in Poland where tanks can be returned to Poland, be repaired, uh, receive updates as needed, uh, and support it in that way. All right, 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Let's start with Don in Aurora Grande. Hey, Don. Hi, Dave. Hi, Hi Don. Professor. Hi. Um, you guys are missing the whole point of what went on the other day. Well, what's that, Don? Annalena Baerbock, German's foreign minister, in her speech announcing that they were giving the tanks, she declared war on Russia. She said, we are at war with Russia. And the Russian response by, I don't know what he's president of, but President something, uh, Mansurvek or something, he said, now we have more targets. And I don't think he meant targets in Ukraine. Professor? You now have a NATO country declaring war on Russia. Not Russia declaring war on Germany, but a NATO country declaring war on Russia, and we are part of that. Let's hear from the professor. Well, let me say this about that. The Russians have said all along, directly from Putin and, of course, his underlings, including his, uh, his foreign affairs uh, minister, have said, this is a war between the West and Russia. This is Russia defending itself from the West, that NATO expanded, NATO was pushing into the East, that the Ukraine was becoming part of that. Ukraine has not been admitted, as you're aware, uh, into either the EU or NATO. They've only applied. They've only applied. But the Russians attacked on that basis because they said that our political moves were a declaration of war. And I believe the German foreign minister is responding to that. Yeah, well, now she's made it official. Now there's no, uh, maybe we're helping out, we're sending defensive weapons. We are now sending offensive weapons, and she's declared war, so NATO's declared war, and we're part of NATO. Here's what she said. So you're right on the brink of World War III. Depends on what Russia does. Here's what she said. She said, we are fighting a war against Russia and not fighting against each other. Well, isn't that a declaration of war? No. 
I think it recognizes the proxy war political situation that has always existed, and I don't see any change from that statement to what's been going on in the last 11 months. Yeah, but it's not getting really in the mainstream going on media, since and she said her speech in English. So what do you think? There's been no national declaration by any of the 30 NATO nations. So, Don, and we've been Germany. very careful yeah. not, to, not to send offensive weapons that allow the Ukrainians to attack into Russia. Right. So, Don, just to clarify, all we have at this point is is rhetoric, words in a speech. Nothing beyond that. Yeah, but that. she's pretty high up in the administration, and she's in front of a German council, yet she's speaking in English. So that speech was intended for the West, for the United States. And yet none of this has hit mainstream media even to discuss it. Don, uh, sorry, the professor. Well, I think that her statement only recognizes the proxy war situation that has been going on for the eleven months, and this is not a new announcement. Don, do you really think that there's a change by sending the tanks, a change by sending the uh, Patriot defense system, a change in the original uh, statement uh, about a month ago with the Bradleys? Do you see that as a declaration of war and a change? There's no change. It's just now everybody's admitting that this is a proxy war that has been going on between NATO and Russia since 2008. Eight, I if think, not earlier. Yeah, I, I think we all in agreement on I, that. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I'd have no disagreement with that whatsoever. Yeah, but but the American people aren't even being given aware unless you go look on alternative news. I watched all last night and checked all the stations, and all anybody was talking about is what you're talking about: is these tanks. Nobody acknowledged her declaration. Uh, and there's definitely a discussion to be made there. All right, Don, I'm glad you made it. Thanks for calling in. But just to be clear, Professor, is that that is a speech that is not a declaration by the nation of Germany against Russia. That's correct. Exactly. And we are doing everything we can. If you will notice that the president said sending these tanks, the 31 right away and the other 60 that are scheduled to go, that these do not give an offensive capability allowing. Oh, dear. Did we lose him? Jim, are you with us? We lost lost you for about 15 seconds. Repeat your answer. To me. Jim, we lost you for about 15 seconds. Oh, okay. Sure, sorry. The... The, the president yesterday made a statement after uh, a statement uh, go, going along with the uh, the decision to send the tanks that the tanks were in no way the 31 now the 60 that are scheduled to go later no way were these any attempt by the United States uh, to for them to be used as offensive weapons into Russia. Right. They are merely part of the supporting Ukraine, defending its sovereign territory. Okay, let's go to Greg and Paso. Hi, Greg. Hey, gentlemen. I had three quick points. Uh, I wonder what, and then the professor can respond. I wonder what um, the thought is of if any of those Abrams get captured by Russian forces. Uh, is there technology that would that Russia doesn't already know about? I assume we're not sending our uh, latest version of the M1 next. 
Uh, I'd also heard the other day when I think they were first starting to talk about this decision is that the uh, some some high officials in the Pentagon suggested against this move, but the administration has gone ahead and uh, done so. And uh, I guess I can't remember what the third one was, but I'll just leave it at those two. All right, Greg, both legitimate. Thank you very much. Let's start with the first one. What's the risk of any of these tanks being captured? Both big questions. There is always a risk of vehicles and personnel being captured if they're on the battlefield. Always a risk. You can minimize it by doing certain things. However, the weapons we will be sending to the very front lines in the Ukraine will not be the latest version of the M1. It will not be the very latest version. Uh, We don't have all of those actually deployed completely among U.S. armored forces yet. So that's not what's going there. That's not what's going. All right. Now, as to the second question, when a major decision is made concerning planning or implementation of a new defense policy, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people involved in that decision. The particular force of the the five armed forces, the particular force that is involved, will have its own discussions, its own planners, uh, focusing on the issue when it involves a major change. Then, of course, at the Defense Department level, looking at national defense strategy, we have planners and experts on particular areas to make those kinds of determinations. In addition to that, you've mentioned several times that I was a tank commander. Maybe, and, and by way of disclosure, I should also say, I wrote my dissertation at RAND. The way we fight now together, jointly fight, is called air-land battle. And this is the combination of Army, Navy, air, and Marine forces, and of course now space and cyber forces, jointly bringing their expertise to the battlefield working together. That's coordinated at the Defense Department level. I worked on airland battle for several years, and particularly I wrote a good portion of the land part of airland battle, developed being something called the Dragoon Squadron, which was a model of how we created new cavalry integrating armor infantry, that sort of thing. When I I was at Rand. That was my dissertation. It's called it's called lightweight power projection. And unlike Mr. Santos, I can get you a copy of that so that uh, <laughs> you can, your readers can uh, your your listeners can read it if, right. if they'd like to look at it. All right, but. Uh- So we are following our proper planning procedures and having discussions. The final decision, as I understand it, the final recommendation to the president to send tanks actually came from Secretary Lloyd Austin, who himself is a retired four-star general and a theater commander. Who initially opposed it. But then he changed his Who mind. Who initially opposed it for the logistics reasons. All right. But once the uh, they'd worked through the logistics planning and how we would deal with that, then was willing to send the tanks because he recognized that was going to be necessary to have a coordinated tank support program from across NATO. All right. We'll be back in two minutes for a final segment with Professor Armstead. I'm Dave Congleton. This is KVEC. All right, let's take another uh, call for Professor Armstead. If you want in on this conversation, we need to hear from you now, please. 805-543-8830. Garth is in a task on KVEC. Hi, Garth. Hey, David. Hi, Doctor. Hi, Garth. 
Hello, Gerv. How are you? Good. So Don's correct. Um, you know, the Western public, what they're being told about the war is completely inconsistent with the reality that's taking place um, on the ground in Ukraine. And, you know, it's just propaganda pushed by the U.S. State Department. Um, that being said, um, Doctor, what, what you failed to mention today is that Russia says it'll consider any deployment of the German Leopard 2 tanks and um, as the as the use of a nuclear dirty bomb if the shells contain a uranium core. So that's quite dangerous, and I think you failed to mention that. Ukraine is going to be waiting months, Garth, months Garth, for Garth, these Abrams. Garth, hang on. Let him comment on that. Professor? Oh, sure. sure. I, I have not seen that particular comment from the Russian press. I did read it today, which is where I got the Daily information where they've attacked both tanks. They've said the Abrams are the battered and worn-out versions and that the Leopard 2 isn't up the stuff against the, uh, against the uh, Russian tanks. So yeah, that's the, the part that no. I, I, and I, I've announced that. You know, I saw those, those statements made by Russia, uh, and, uh, which is the official news, uh, uh, news agency of the Russian defense establishment. Let's go back to Garth. Mm-hmm. Garth? Daily Mail, Daily Mail, too, talks about it. Um, and, and again, um, you know, Ukraine's not going to get these tanks in time to make any kind of difference. Um, you know, the Russia, Russian offensive is going to take place um, long long before uh, they received these tanks and even even the uh you know white house officials have even said it could take a year before kiev receives the tanks so just you know it again it's it's not going to change the course of the war um russia is very confident in in their ability to to win this there there's no panic in russia they've got 26 million reserves as i said before um so, so the only thing Washington's doing is prolonging the pain here for Ukraine. Let's have and let's it, have him respond. You're putting a lot on the table there, Garth. Sure. Let the professor respond. Sure. Well, the uh, the Russians have been confident all along. They were confident they were going to take Kiev uh, in less than three weeks. They were repulsed, pushed back to the Belarusian border. Uh, they then reoriented uh, most of those 209,000 troops that invaded. They were reoriented toward uh, into uh, the Donbass area, Donetsk and Lugansk. Uh, they did attack further south, including Mariupol. Two new provinces were taken um, uh, under Russian occupation. Uh, Saporozhye and Kershaw, about 35% of what the Russians took have been taken back in the third phase of the war. The land bridge is weakening and it's thinner, and your pronouncement as to when the Russian offense is going to come, you obviously have information I don't have. You must be hearing this from the Russians directly, because none of that is public, and I deal with the American military all the time, so I congratulate you on being able to uh, tell us when the Russians are going to attack. I'll come back to Garth one well, last time. Well, thank you, Doctor. Um, yes, I am um, listening to other things other than, you know, U.S. State Department propaganda, so that is true. Obviously, you were believing the propaganda. Um, so, anyway, uh, um, you know, this is a very dangerous situation, and Don's correct, and Dave, Dave um, had the analogy of the Vietnam War, which is a really good analogy also. You know, this is a, becoming a direct war between the West, and especially the United States, and Russia. And there's no winners in that war, Doctor. You know that. All right, Garth. Thank you very much for calling in. Is this war winnable, Jim? 
Well, if we're talking about escalating the fight until we get to a nuclear war, no, that's not winnable. A nuclear war would be insane. I don't think that's what the Russians want to do. I know that is not what we want to do. I've been involved in war planning and national strategic analysis for the last 50 years. That's not what we want to do where we're going. Is this a proxy war between Russia and the West? And has it been, as Don aptly said, I say, since 2014, Don makes the point, 2008. Actually, he's probably more correct than I am. The right. 2008 is, I'm if we look at what guy. went on in Georgia, what went on uh, in early, uh, in 2008, uh, between Russia and the Ukraine, I think he's got a very good point. All right. This with is that, a proxy okay. war. And with that in mind, been going on with that in mind, we go to Scott in San Luis. Hi, Scott. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dr. Armstead. Hey, Scott. Uh, Hi, Scott. I wholeheartedly, I'm just going to make some comments, but I, I wholeheartedly agree with um, Garth and, and Ron. Um, Don on on Ron's reasons. Don uh, we yeah Don, Don. sorry <laughs> uh, uh, regarding Ron uh, uh, Don we have U.S. citizens, British citizens, and including Polish citizens are going to Poland as defensive contractors to declare uh, to fight Ukraine. Uh, there is a source uh, I've looked online where people can go into Poland, be given Ukrainian uniforms, ex- uh, weapons, and and be paid in bitcoins in exchange. Uh, you're required to sign a gag order that you will not be interviewed or go public about your business uh, in going to Ukraine. And the bitcoins are actually in um, U.S. black market money, from what I'm hearing. Professor, you have any reaction to this? Well, Wagner has 40,000, uh, the Wagner Group, uh, our friend Pergosian, has 40,000 uh, employees, a large number of which are people that he pulls out of jails to come and fight for the Russians. Uh, they were declared by the United States two days ago to be criminal and terrorist organizations, and uh, they are currently considered unlawful combatants by the uh, ICC, which is also investigating them. Scott? So let's look at the other side of this, have a little balance. And the second reason, um, the reason why the tanks are going in and they're being sent, um, um, which is the United States is pushing NATO countries, uh, including non-NATO countries, um, the United States is asking um, Russian allies to even send their Russian tanks in exchange they'll be given U.S. tanks which is really kind of lucurious, lucurious, but they're doing it. But um, what I'm hearing from the firing of uh, Zelensky's top aide, and he's now going public now, is that the Ukrainian military is losing severely, is the reason why the push for the tanks. If if we were so successful, we wouldn't have to be putting in these tanks, but the fact that the Russians are winning this conflict... And it's not looking good yeah. for Ukraine. Ukraine right. is going to fall. All right, Scott. Thanks for the call. I got about 90 seconds. There's a lot there, Jim. But is that why we want the tanks? Because Ukraine is losing? We want the tanks so that Ukraine can win. I mean, the, the argument Scott's making here is that we're losing. We, we, the, the, the West is losing. Ukraine is losing. Russia is winning. So we're sending the tanks to convince the Ukrainians somehow they can win with those. Well, if 
conventional forces are pushing the Ukrainians in this attack. Their country's invaded. Their country's being about 15% is being occupied. If weapons did this, they're going to need an increase in weaponry to be able to repulse this. There's nothing illogical, inconsistent, or propaganda about that. That's exactly what we're doing. We're admitting that. I don't see the argument that he's making. It doesn't make sense to me. All right, I've got 45 seconds for a final thought from Professor Armstead, former tank commander. We are providing tanks, which is going to be important in this third phase of the war. The first phase was an invasion. It was repulsed. The second phase was a removal of Russian soldiers to the eastern part of the country to create a land bridge down to Crimea. Uh, The Ukrainians, with what they had, have done very well in reducing the the occupation area uh, in the eastern part of the country now to complete pushing the Russians out uh, in this next offensive period of the war. They need heavier weapons, heavy armor, and the tanks are going to provide that. And we need to go. Professor, thanks as always for the conversation. Off we go. ABC Radio News. Craig updates us with Time Saver Traffic and Weather Together. And we'll feature our conversation with Annie Lorenzen. Always a good one with Annie. Stick around. I'm Dave Congleton. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.